new Hyundai Palisade and, yeah, to state the exceedingly obvious, you can see this car from space. I'm almost two weeks in to test driving Palisade and here I am still deeply conflicted about the new Hyundai SUV flagship. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously, but I've got to tell you, I've got this whole conflict of love and hate going on with the new Palisade and I might need your help over the next few minutes sorting that out. Like, don't get me wrong, it's an excellent conveyance provided you meet a tightly defined set of criteria as the ultimate owner. So just for balance, let us kick off this report with the 10 things you'll probably love about the new Palisade, followed by the 10 things you might hate. with a raft of positivity, 10 things deep. If you've got up to eight asses to convey from A to B and you also need copious luggage space, then I'd suggest Palisade is a beast. This is a huge plus for that niche market of over-enthusiastic breeders. And of course, those of you who still cling to this whole legacy concept of being socially gregarious, when in fact, Palisade is the ideal conveyance if your objective is to maintain social distancing strictly at all times. In reality, most seven-seat SUVs cannot carry anything when there is a derriere parked on every friggin' seat cushion. Palisade also earns bonus points for being an actual SUV meaning you will not be damned to automotive hell for eternity by the curse of owning a people mover. Number two, Palisade has a proper full-sized spare wheel and tyre underslung at the rear. And this is, of course, ideal for regional touring. There's probably about 900 kilometres of mobility built into every 71-litre fuel tank, at least that's kind of what you'll get out of a tank of diesel. So that could be rather a long limp home on a space saver after getting a flat in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. So well done there, Hyundai, for regional Australians and for people in capital cities harbouring that dream of post-lockdown excursion. Remember those. And I'd suggest take that, Mazda CX-9. Palisade comes fully loaded, especially the Highlander. Like, it would take me until the middle of next week to run through all of the features and standard inclusions. The upside, of course, is that there is no exhaustive high-priced options list for you to wade through, which is a somewhat grubby, price-pumping scam still favoured by the prestige brands in order to get you to part with an extra 25 or 30 grand more than you had anticipated spending at first glance. Palisade Highlander has all of this stuff standard, the 360-degree camera system you get. 
infinity electrical adjustments for the driver's seat, it's got two friggin' sunroofs, for God's sake, and the climate control air conditioning even decides when it's appropriate to blow chilled or presumably warm air up your bottom through the perforated seat leather. So that's rather nice, you know, one of those unexpected surprise and delight features, even if you are, however occasionally, wearing pants. One size really does fit all in a palisade. You know, you can be doing the whole soccer mum thing one minute, and then you can just duck down wherever and pick up some properly bulky item or items. You just nudge the seats aside, you transport all of this logistic stuff home, and you'll be back in time to pick up the kids from the game, and nobody will ever know about your sick, twisted cargo van fetish. You can also hedge your bets internally by mixing and matching passengers and bulky items. And you can do this lengthwise and widthwise. It really is a very versatile vehicle. The 2.2 litre diesel powertrain is the one to get, pretty clearly. Eight-speed auto plus on-demand all-wheel drive is extremely well suited to this vehicle. This is gonna cost you 4,000 bucks more than the two-wheel drive petrol V6, but it's worth more than every penny in terms of both economy and refinement. And let's not forget, additionally, mid-RPM performance. It's awesome. So if you're on the showroom floor and you're flipping a coin on which powertrain to buy, just do yourself a favour, spend the big bucks, get the diesel. This is a great vehicle for long distance driving. So if you've got regional touring in mind and you need to drive four, five, six hundred k's or something today, then you will emerge from a palisade reasonably relaxed and certainly not all that fatigued. It's quiet and the ride quality is excellent. The dynamics are okay, like certainly better than I expected, in keeping with a vehicle of its size. Like, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to chuck aggressively into a series of switchback turns or something, right? It's a big long distance tourer and it feels big, mainly because it's got its own postcode, you know? But the main thing here is that there is a gulf separating big and clumsy. And Palisade is the former, but it's certainly not the latter. Like, if you want something that feels like a tank, you could always just buy yourself, I don't know, a Land Cruiser or a Patrol. One fundamental bridge of choice you will have to cross at the dealership is seven seats or eight. Either way, the cost is gonna be the same. So this really is about what you need and not what you can afford. Both versions get two buckets at the front and a three-wide bench seat down the back. Seven-seaters get an additional two buckets in row two, and eight-seaters get a three-seat bench in row two. I love the fact that there's no price penalty either way, so it really is what you need. If you've got young kids, you get five top tether child seat anchorage points on eight seat models and you get four on the seven seaters. The big trick for the seven seaters is of course that walk through functionality to access row three. 
But the one button sliding system which is built into row 2 is also excellent and very efficient and speedy for accessing row 3 on the 8 seat versions provided you don't have to move a child restraint out of the way first. Any way you carve this up, Palisade is the most expensive Hyundai money can buy. And that's going to cost you like 75 grand plus on road costs for the diesel Highlander, which is rather a lot of hoot. And I know I'm saying all this like it's a bad thing, but when you think about it, this is actually about 54,000 bucks cheaper than a fully loaded Toyota Land Cruiser 200. And that Land Cruiser, let's not forget, only offers you seven seats. And before you blue singlet bogans rip into me in the comments, dudes, I know they're not equivalent vehicles. Palisade does not do full-on all-terrain off-roading, nor does it tow three and a half tons. But I'd suggest plenty of people who buy Land Cruisers, they just use them for family transportation. Like out there in regional Schittsville, they drive them out of the house paddock driveway and onto a dirt road, they head 5Ks to the bitumen, they turn left or right, and then they drive 30, 40, 50, whatever Ks into town. Rinse and repeat. And then once every so often, they visit the big smoke when it's not a pandemic. Palisade will do that kind of driving all day long and feel better and more refined the whole time. So there's that. And 54 grand is rather a lot of money, particularly if you can save it, at least to most people, especially if you intend to dump that cash on a depreciating so-called asset. They have put rather a lot of thought into the interior. The floating console is extremely space efficient for storage. It's got a USB cable management port between the storage area on the ground floor and the penthouse in the console. And ultimately you can charge two USB devices in the penthouse or three if you use a 12 volt to USB power converter in the cigarette lighter power outlet in the basement. And these magic cup holders in the center console, they're also very versatile and space efficient. You get wireless inductive charging for your smartphone and there's a ton of additional USB outlets, storage spaces and air vents throughout the cabin. So even in row three, you are hardly slumming it. And finally, I am rather looking forward to the fanboy flack I am inevitably in line for even suggesting this, but hey, like I care. In the 1990s, if you found yourself buying a prestige car, it was going to cost you roughly twice as much as a mainstream car roughly the same size. But back then, at least you got more, like more safety, more performance, more comfort, more convenience, more technology. And I'm talking tangibly more, like measurably, objectively, more car for your money back then. But today, you don't actually get that. Or if you do, the margin of tangibly more whatever is substantially less. And what you're really paying for today is the intangible cachet wrapped up in the prestige brand. So it's going to be like 75 grand for a big fat SUV either way, but another 75 grand for the three-pronged suppository badge displayed proudly up the pointy end. And part of this is because essentially all technology is currently available off the rack. Radar range finding, adaptive cruise control is simply a widget systematically available to any car maker. 
direct injection, same thing. The latest safety tech, you know, infrared cabin air, temperature sensing, zone-specific HVAC, AEB, blind spot monitoring, all those cameras, whatever, the software, they're really all just off-the-shelf widgets. And essentially, mainstream brands like Hyundai have kind of snuck up on luxury brands like the three-pronged suppository, and it's put the squeeze on these prestige brands because it's objectively harder for those prestige brands to justify the purchase. Of course, the flip side of this is fully loaded. This is an $80,000-ish Hyundai, and that's going to be a concept which will challenge some people, certainly. Like, if you went 100% Rip Van Winkle back in about 2005, and you only just woke up today in time to hear me say $80,000 Hyundai, you would of course wonder which universe you had suddenly awoken in. And with that said, perhaps it's now time to balance out all of this love with a healthy serve of deeply conflicted Palisade criticism. It seems to me that one of the things about being the flagship in a model range is you've got to be well ahead of the rest of the range when it comes to all of the things that really matter. And in the case of towing, Palisade really isn't, okay? And just let me lay that out for you, okay? Because Palisade is the biggest, heaviest, longest wheelbase SUV in Hyundai's portfolio, at least here in Australia. And Therefore, it should be the best tow platform. However, it offers 2,200 kilos of maximum tow capacity, like aggregate trailer mass limit, which is fair enough. And if that's where this story ended, I would not have a problem with that. And we would not be sitting here discussing it. However, the limitation in practical terms for heavy towing with Palisade is the tow ball download limit, which is just 100 kilos. So let's put that in perspective, okay? That is like 122nd or something of the total mass, which in my mind, that's like, what, 4.5% or something in the ballpark? That's like not enough to ensure dynamic stability across the widest range of operating conditions in, let's be kind, our imperfect road system. Hyundai tells me they are working on a genuine load assist kit for the Palisade, not unlike the one they rolled out in previous generation Santa Fe's. And that should increase the limit to 150 kilos. When I discussed this with them by SMS, they did not offer a likely deployment time frame. And they are kind of maxed out at the moment on R&D because of this insane 18 products in 18 months rollout of revitalization, okay? So I don't know when that's going to happen. In the meantime, you're kind of stuck with a practical limit of something like 1,500 kilos of trailer, which would give you, on the limit, about 6.5% of static download on the tow ball. So if you are thinking about towing something heavy and you don't want to step up to one of these big clunky platforms with all-terrain capability and three to three and a half tons of tow capacity, then my strong advice to you is to purchase a Santa Fe, which comes out of the box with this latest model with two and a half tons of aggregate trailer mass limit 
and 200 kilos on the ball, which is well ahead of the flagship. As just discussed, right, the diesel is absolutely the powertrain to get. It's only going to cost you about 5% more, and it's going to be roughly 20 times better, maybe more. Frankly, Hyundai and Kia need to drop the outdated petrol V6, and they need to start running urgently across the board with the 2.5-litre turbo petrol engine in vehicles like this, meaning... Santa Fe and Sorrento additionally, and they need to package it with all-wheel drive. It's a superior engine in every respect compared with the V6. And if they did that, Palisade would be a proper CX-9 beater. It's time, dudes. Like, this engine is already developed and ready to go, so just slip it in. When I think about contemporary Hyundai styling, okay, I think about new Santa Fe, maybe the upcoming Tucson, Sonata N-Line, maybe i30 sedan, what I see is some pretty cutting-edge products with their own distinctive presentation. And then, and I know this is like the ultimate epistemically subjective challenge, but when I look at Big P here, I kind of see a vehicle that looks, to me at least, like yesterday's hero, and worse even perhaps. It appears to have been possessed, grill-wise, look at all that brushed chrome, with the demon we know as Audi. Palisade costs about $10,000 more than a roughly equivalent Carnival, which is approximately as versatile and as capable, except for the Carnival's lack of all-wheel drive, the seating on Carnival is actually more versatile, principally because it does something Palisade cannot, which would be to morph between seven and eight seats and back as many times as you need it to through the course of your ownership. Of course, the Carnival is cursed in the minds of many by its categorization as a people mover, which for many people is about as alluring as the promise of a DIY vasectomy. The white leather, okay, such a disaster, especially for families with young children, like everything from the dye in new denim jeans to the residual oil on your palms when it smears onto the white leather door pulls and every item of chocolate or sauce or every other disgusting thing that a child eats when they drop it down there between the seats. It's going to be a long-term aesthetic disaster and very difficult to render back to some pristine state at trade-in time. <laughs> I think you'd agree. Anyway, white leather comes standard with the blue paint you can see in the car I'm reviewing here called Midnight Cloud, because, hey, everything needs a name, apparently. And also with the charcoal grey exterior, which also has an equally wanky name, Steel Graphite, which is, of course, a non-existent substance. Well done there. I wonder, is every marketing genius in the universe also scientifically illiterate? Is this a, some kind of job prerequisite? Anyway, but if you go for the black paint, sorry, timeless black, or white, correction, white cream, or even Sierra Burgundy, with these three colours, okay, the black and the white and the dirty brown, two of which aren't actually colours, let's not forget, you actually get a nice burgundy leather interior, which is much more practical and durable for the long haul. So there's that. Channeling my inner nitpicking prick for all of the convenience built into the Palisade, okay, 
there's no front passenger grab handle. Like, in what universe does that go through to the keeper? There are two grab handles per side in row two. One for just getting in and the other one for climbing into row three. So, well done there. Respect. But nothing for she who must be obeyed up the pointy end, directing the driver, instructing tirelessly. <laughs> That's a bit of an oversight in a flagship, I'd suggest. When you select park, the automatic parking brake applies. Sometimes. And by sometimes, I mean if you park on a slope. Therefore, there is a gradient sensor built into the system and it does at least some of the thinking for you on parking brake application. When you're parked on more or less level terrain, however, the Palisade just goes into P and the parking brake remains off. Here's a shot of pulling up on the flat. The transmission is in park, but the parking brake is deactivated. And this is what happens when you park on a slope. Full automatic activation of the parking brake when you select P on the transmission. I know that a pin gets jammed into the transmission when you select park, and therefore I know the car is not going anywhere at this point. And I suppose this logic reduces wear and tear on the parking brake mechanism, ultimately. But at the end of the day, I do find myself being something of a belt and braces dude on parking. Meaning that I prefer some redundancy built into the apparatus of restraint here, the better to prevent the mother of all runaway disasters, even if this kind of thing statistically happens only once every 20 years of normal driving or something. I would prefer the parking brake to go on automatically every time when you select P if that's the way this system is designed to be automatic. Call me old-fashioned on this. Anyway, you can of course apply the parking brake at any time manually, presumably with the car stopped. I don't think this is the kind of thing you would generally do a handbrake turn, but I did not test that. In any case, this kind of defeats the purpose of making it automatic, at least in my estimation. Pro tip, okay, good luck finding the parking brake switch if you have not had a really, really good look. See, in every other vehicle on earth that has this feature, at least every other one that I've ever driven, the electronic handbrake switch is over there in the center next to the transmission shifter because obviously these two control systems are related and you need one shortly after the other. So co-locating them makes absolute ergonomic sense. This is not the case in Big P, however, that switch is over on the other side of the steering wheel on the right in Australia, and it's kind of visually hidden beneath the steering wheel in terms of the driver's line of sight, so it is difficult to locate if you don't know where it is. It's down where the lane departure warning on-off kind of switch and the ESC on-off switch and the dashboard dimmer is located, okay? And I do not know why, because it seems like the ultimate counterintuitive handbrake switch placement, at least to me. And I do not know why it is over there, because it's not as if there's no spare real estate over there near the shifter in the centre. So at least now you know, and if you are stopped somewhere level with a flat tyre perhaps and about to jack the car up to fit the spare or something, you will be able to apply the parking brake. 
Yes. As well as, hopefully, on every other occasion that the computer deems this unnecessary. I will certainly be doing that every time I drive the Palisade, so there you go. Adding insult to injury on this, if you are parked pointed downhill and the parking brake is applied, when you select drive to drive off, the car will not roll until you nudge the throttle. You can't just roll gently away under gravity because... A throttle input is required for the computer to tell the car to release the semi-autonomous parking brake. Yes. This makes for a fairly unrefined downhill takeoff, if you ask me, and you will find yourself reaching down and over to the right often enough if you want to take off smoothly. So, all up, I'd suggest an annoyingly large amount of manual intervention required for a system which one assumes, was at the outset designed to be somewhat automatic. Following on from that last point, if you are parked and the parking brake is deployed, you cannot drive off unless you clip your seatbelt. This too, at times, is a proper pain in the ass. Now, don't get me wrong on this, okay? I am not advocating driving without a seatbelt because that would be ridiculously dangerous and also socially irresponsible. However, at times, say when you're parked in your moderately slopey driveway, you might want to reposition the car to wash it or something, and there's no particular risk of you not wearing a seatbelt on private property, moving a car slower than walking pace without buckling up. So this is not a deal breaker for me, it's just inconvenient, but it does seem somewhat of a nanny state kind of intervention that's not particularly well thought out. Philosophically, one of the most soul-destroying aspects of modern technology is how eight well-meaning brainiacs in a room in an R&D facility can figure out how to make an otherwise nice automobile invasively irritating in its default state. Palisade, and it's not the only Hyundai Motor Group product to do this, comes pre-loaded for your convenience with fake ambient background audio. And yeah, you can turn it off, thankfully, and you can turn it off easily. The default options are Lively Forest, Calm Ocean Waves, Rainy Day, and these last two, okay, very confronting indeed, with a full bladder and 200 k's to go. Number four, open air cafe. Which is somewhat insensitive in the context of COVID. You also get warm fireplace. And snowy village. Why, why, why? Go to all this trouble, dudes. I did at first hate this, uh, let's call it, feature, and I hated it passionately. But then I thought, the only thing missing here is the ability for me to upload my own bespoke ambient tracks, a little gift for the next road tester to enjoy for the first few thousand Ks, perhaps. I would love to install tracks like Caligula's Vomitorium for a sense of historical perspective. ScoMo press conference, which, when you think about it, is almost the same thing, but might need a narcolepsy warning. 
Ventilator in ICU, that's quite contemporary. Titanic lifeboat struggle, that's in too. Move over, Leonardo DiCaprio, literally. Door to door in Ramadi, that's a winner. Guantanamo interview, and who could forget the timeless haunting classic, highlights of my week with dysentery. Or you could just let the car sound like a car. Dudes. And if people want, they could just, I don't know, play their own audio. Lively forest. <sighs> I know I previously talked up the price, but if you want eight seats for eight asses and space for luggage, configurability, versatility, whatever, a Kia Carnival is 10,000 bucks cheaper. Ballpark. And also quite a good thing. For the same kind of saving in club SUV, you can also own the Works Burger of Santa Fe's, seven seat only, obviously, and less ultimate interior volume, but it tows more and it does almost everything else just as well. This particular palisade is the diesel Highlander, so it's got all wheel drive. And all all-wheel drive diesel Palisades have this terrain selection dial next to the transmission selector, okay? And it's got like mud and snow and sand and things of that nature. But personally, I would not be fooled by that into thinking that this is any kind of off-roader. Like, pro tip, it's got 20-inch alloy wheels. And if you want to build a proper off-roader, don't put 20-inch alloy wheels on it because it's just not going to work in that context as an off-roader. So with that in mind, I'd be saying great regional tourer, okay around town, good bus for the family and the kids and the extended family, whatever. By all means, take it to the snow and drive to the beach. But let's not be harbouring any aspirations about driving it on the beach. Palisade is available in two model grades, the base Palisade and the Highlander. Except there's no real base model. It's more like a mid-spec and a high trim variant. So if your budget is tight, you can kind of relax because the base Palisade is hardly poverty. The price difference is 11,000 bucks, which is quite substantial, but if you can live without the twin sunroofs, the full Napa leather, the two-speed auto tailgate, the heated and ventilated front and row two seats, and the heated steering wheel and things of this nature, you will be quite okay in the more affordable entry-level Palisade. At some point in the consideration of buying a Palisade, many people are going to say to themselves, I wonder if it's too big. And if you're one of those people, I'd be saying, let's throttle that back a little bit because Palisade is just under five metres long, which means it's 635 millimetres longer than an i30 hatch, which is two feet in the old money. So I'd suggest that if you're a reasonably capable driver, there's no universe in which if you can handle an i30 hatch competently across a range of different conditions in the city and on the highway, then there is no universe when you cannot accommodate a vehicle that's just 
two feet longer. Yeah, it's gonna feel different and you will have to accommodate that. But if you need the size and the volume and all of those things, then you're in a zero sum game, right? You have to buy a big vehicle. And if you really can't step up into a vehicle that's two feet longer than perhaps the one you've just gotten out of, then my strong advice to you is get your license and put it in the shredder. Hyundai says right-hand drive Palisade was delivered primarily for Australia and the dynamics tuning is pretty much spot on for our, let's be kind, shit road system. Palisade is actually just one of 18 new Hyundais due over the next 18 months. Bit of a product revitalization onslaught there, which includes the latest Santa Fe just released and the upcoming all new Tucson, which looks really impressive. Perhaps you find yourself at House of Hyundai one day, equivocating between a Santa Fe and a Palisade and scratching your head and going, what the? Which one do I buy kind of thing? Then I would say the default advice is Santa Fe is probably right for you because there's two real justifications for Palisade. And one of them is eight seats, dude, with luggage capacity especially if you are one of those people who could never see yourself stooping to a people mover. Nobody wants that. People movers are actually okay, but a lot of people don't want to see themselves in one, okay? And the other justification is, of course, if you want maximum internal cargo capacity, volume and versatility, right? Because there will be big bulky things that you can get into this vehicle that you just cannot get into a Santa Fe. And if that's you, then you've found your justification for the Palisade. And in the objective universe, for everybody else, Santa Fe is going to do the job just fine. And you're welcome. Just saved you about, I don't know, 10 grand or something. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens on safety, meaning ANCAP's safety rating determination for Palisade. Because Palisade is objectively one of the safest vehicles you can buy. Critical side airbag head protection covers all three rows, according to Hyundai, for example. However, ANCAP's ever-shifting safety rating goalposts could well downgrade Palisade's official safety rating. We're going to have to wait and see on that, obviously, but it could be super confusing for consumers to make an informed decision on this. Whatever happens there, you can be assured that Palisade remains an extremely safe SUV. The push-button auto, okay, it does look very neat, but on balance, I have to say, I kind of detest it, and I detest it for a couple of sort of objective reasons. Number one is, when you want to go from drive to reverse, if you've got a shifting lever, you don't have to take your mind off the job and your eyes off the job of monitoring the outside world because your hand knows where the shifter is, goes there instinctively, and understands the motion required to get from drive to reverse. And this is common when you're parking, for example, right? And in that situation, there's a lot of cognitive demand, spatial kind of cognitive demand, because you need to move your car within a fairly tightly orchestrated set of conditions, okay? <laughs> like without crashing into someone else's car. And 
it's much easier to do that if you don't have to divert your attention from the outside world to which button do I press and this kind of thing. The other thing that is fairly detestable about push-button autos is the electronic interlocking strategy, which means that you need to meet a predefined set of conditions in order to go from drive to reverse. In other words, there's a speed precondition and also a brake application precondition, which feels like something like 20 or 30% brake application before the transmission will accept your command to go from drive to reverse, all right? And this can be particularly frustrating when you're up a steep hill and you're about to reverse park into a parking spot that's quite tight. You've got all this traffic behind you, so potentially you're holding up the world. And if you fail to meet the braking threshold prerequisite, because gravity is doing most of the slowing down, and it's really okay to select reverse at this point, but the computer disagrees, then that's very frustrating indeed with a push button because you have to take your eyes off the road again and have another friggin' crack at it. So it's a triumph for packaging and it looks really neat, but I'm not so sure push button is a win overall for ergonomics. Servicing costs are dirt cheap. The first five standard services are 399 bucks a piece for the V6 petrol and 469 bucks each for the diesel. That's every 12 months or 15,000 kilometres, whichever occurs first. And in news just in from the Department of Interesting Trivia, there are 16 frigging cup holders in a Palisade and 7 USB ports, which means that you can charge up 8 electronic devices, including utilising the inductive charge pad just down here in the console, okay? So, I'd suggest, therefore, that there is absolutely no excuse for dying of dehydration in a palisade or arriving on set with a flat device. All new Palisade creates a sense of elegance through a sweeping horizontal motif with a luxurious feel through the application of a premium trimmed crash pad and console with a satin chrome garnish. Unfortunately, that very same sweepingly elegant satin chrome finish also finds itself reflected just up here in the windscreen. And, like, dude, it's not in your primary vision area. It's well above the horizon, in other words, so not totally annoying, but it is there and you can see it. And in the domain of sort of objective design considerations, I'd suggest, therefore, its presence means that potentially with a little more effort and even better, even more elegant, sweepingly, whatever finish could have been found. A unified instrument cluster and multimedia unit brings a futuristic and clear display of the various vehicle functions and completes a classy image. Yeah, it kind of does, more or less, but unfortunately we don't get the same purely digital LCD type cluster that car and driver raved about so effusively in America. Instead, we get a different, far more analogue cluster that's not nearly as aesthetically pleasing, but on balance, it's equally functional. I don't actually know if this report has helped me resolve my conflict in relation to 
Big P here, but I certainly hope it has helped you crystallise in your mind the cases for and against Palisade ownership, because let's face it, there is a fair old wad of cash on the table in respect of this vehicle, and you'd want to get this right.